Hello and welcome to A Truth Universally Acknowledged, the podcast that points out what we all know, that any creative in need of a distraction will definitely have eaten their way through at least half of their advent calendar by now. And if you haven't, well, then I'm sorry, but some of us needed the chocolate, okay? Yes, I'm Harriet Minter, and full disclosure now, this episode is a bit of an emotional one. I talked to the brilliant Amanda Prowse about how she came to be a writer, how our creativity can get stuck during times of crisis, and why we all need to give ourselves a break sometimes. We touch on themes of suicide, depression and breakups, so just a warning about that. But also note that while that sounds heavy going, Amanda is so kind and gentle about all of those things that actually it's quite uplifting. Well, I think so anyway, but I'm six cherry liqueur chocolates down at this point, so... Also, this week, what do you do when you just can't create, and a completely bonkers creativity booster designed to get you past procrastination. First up though, let's do some weekly accountability. Full disclosure, I haven't written anything this week because I've been going through a breakup, and honestly it's taken all of my effort to just get through that. I think some people use tough emotional times to fuel their creativity, but I'm apparently not one of them. The most creative thing I've done this week is wear a necklace of tinsel while watching the holiday. So the bar is pretty low. I want to be honest, which is I've been beating myself up about this. I've been telling myself that I should put the structure in place, that it'll make me feel better, that if I was a proper writer, I would write what I was feeling that I would use this to get something out on the page and somehow sort of purge it. But in reality, I haven't been able to do that. In fact, I haven't been able to do very much at all. I've done a little research on this though, and the good news is that the myth of the tortured artist is in fact just that, a myth. It turns out that our creativity is boosted by positive emotions, but drained by negative emotions, because those bloody negative emotions are so all-encompassing that it's all you can think about. Your brain just narrows down onto one topic and stays there. And that's how I felt this week. Stuck. My brain spiralling around the sadness of losing someone you love and the fear that you won't feel that way again and not wanting to write anything about love. Particularly given that I'm writing a book which is all about a woman who loses love and then finds it again. Well, sort of. Look, I want to take a rational approach to this and push through, but it's not happening this week. I'm sorry if this is an overshare, but I did just want to be honest with you. I also wanted to be honest because it comes up in discussion with the wonderful Amanda Prouse. Amanda is a prolific author and had a completely unusual start to her writing career. She didn't get going until she was in her 40s, which I find hugely reassuring. And she's literally visited by divine inspiration each time she writes a book, which is less reassuring for those of us slogging away, but does provide a glimmer of hope that maybe one day that could be me or you too. Her latest book was actually non-fiction, a double-hander written with her son about his depression, and her honesty and ability to really go there with emotion is, I think, what makes her such a successful writer. She also lives in my dream house, an Aladdin's cave filled with potential for stories. Joining me this week is the inspirational in so many ways, and you're going to find out about them, and also prolific in a manner that shames the rest of us absolutely amazing Amanda Prowse hello Mandy oh hello darling how are you I am okay how are you doing 
I'm doing good. Nice to have a break from, I've actually been, today I've been painting walls and putting up pictures. And as I have the dexterity, is that a word? Dexterousness. Dexterity. Dexterity. See, I'm supposed to be good with words. And first (laughs) sentence, I have failed. I have the dexterity of of a mittened elephant. So it's been very, very tricky. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm glad to step away <laughs> I mean you obviously have if not the dexterity of um, a mission elephant you definitely have an eye because if anyone follows you on Instagram they will also know the Prowse House which appears on Instagram and is basically if you think it would be really nice to write a book and then you're like but I wonder if anything will come of this you follow Amanda on Instagram and you're like that's what I'm going for that's the dream hold out for the Prowse House <laughs> someone's described my we had we did an article for um because most of the things in my ha- in my house in fact 99% of the things in my house are upcycled recycled skip finds or secondhand because what we don't need in the world is more stuff right so yeah. I literally trawl charity shops I go on eBay I do all that stuff and try and find you know things that I just think oh that'll do it's got a flower on it shove it in the house and someone described my style um uh, they came to do an article a newspaper about my upcycling and recycling and they said it's kind of like if your granny left you lots of things in her will that you couldn't bear to part with and you also had an obsession for car booting and you were colorblind this is what it would look like and I took That's that as the greatest, greatest compliment ever so it's kind of a clashy mismatch but um do you know what I love it I just think it's so uh, I surround myself with things that once meant a great deal to people so pictures they would have had over their fireplace yeah. you know Woolworths pictures I call them because I know my nan used to collect them from Woolworths and pay <laughs> weekly and I, I rescue them I'm just going to show you Harriet which is no good for your podcast because you can't see them. That's one of my walls up there. Can you see? Oh my gosh, it's amazing. It's like proper gallery wall. Gallery wall. It's amazing. All with, all with took, which I love. So yeah. Because <laughs> when I see, we've gone totally off track of what I was going to talk to you about. But I'm now Sorry, in- we do always do. I love it. Um, when I see pictures of your house on Instagram, I always think it looks like the most beautiful creative space. And I think there's a kind of, there are two schools of thought around this, right? And there's the kind of people who say, oh, to be creative, you sort of need a blank space where you can put your own thing onto it. And then there are the people who I feel like, like you and me, who feel <laughs> that the more stuff, the more creative, that everything has a story. Is that how you feel about it? It's really interesting. So I was talking to my son, who's also a writer, and he said his ideal writing space would be a polished concrete egg. You could sit in the inside of this polished concrete egg with no distraction, no shadows, no objects, and literally sort of womb-like and, and, and empty and right. For me, I need a good blanket, several cushions, couple of dogs, preferably a chicken, goose or hen, not fast, wandering around, several cups of tea, a little bit of clutter, uh, a candle or two, obvs, lamps, tick and uh, yeah I, I don't know I, I need the color and, and the light and and the more things I can look at from other people so again it's it's other people's stories that's really what does it for me so yeah more is definitely more in this house love it love it the inspiration I want to ask you first of all I'm going to start with what I think is just a beautiful story but I want to ask you about getting into writing because For anyone who doesn't know the story of how you came to be a writer, you were not somebody who was publishing their first book at 18. Tell us what it was that made you decide to become a writer. 
So no, definitely not. At 18, I was cleaning loos in the city for rubbish money, waiting tables and, and trying to figure out how I got to be one of those people who had a spare bedroom. That was my goal in life. I couldn't figure it out. I felt like I was in this race you know, with everyone I'd ever been to school with and everyone I met, you know, on the train and thought, how do they get to have that stuff? How do they get to have their life together and live their dream and get up every morning and think, this is just great. I'm doing what I love. Well, I'm doing several jobs I hate that don't pay me enough. And I'm really tired and I'm really fed up. And I, I think I spent most of my life like that. And actually, I kind of resigned myself. That was my life. Um, I didn't think I had a creative bone in my body. I come from a very working class family. My grandparents were either dockers or stay-at-home hypochondriacs. And I'd, I'd never known anyone who'd written a book. I mean, we didn't have any books in the house. We had a copy of the Haynes Car Manual and a Littlewoods catalogue, you know, not because my parents were like, no books, but because they just didn't have the time. They were working, you know, and to sit and read a book is a luxury and was something that I think they maybe did on holiday when we went to Cornwall or Wales to stay in a leaky caravan and eat chips every night, which was the best holiday ever. But that's maybe when they read, but not, you know, every day. Um, and I thought people who wrote books, they must know stuff I don't. They'd probably been to Mallorca for a yeah. start, you know. I mean, they that's, probably, that's yeah, really they, the criteria for it. Yeah. <laughs> they probably had a mum who didn't think a Frey Bentos pie was the height of cordon bleu cookery. You know, these were people that knew stuff. And it wasn't someone like me from a background like mine. And I didn't know you know, whether I could ever write, but I was certainly a huge reader and I would read anything and everything and libraries changed my life and libraries do change the lives for kids like me. And I will forever be indebted to a lady in a turtleneck sweater who gave me a library ticket. Um, I don't know her name. I wish I did, but I've written about her a lot. She changed my life by giving me that ticket and saying, take these books home. And then when you've read them, come back and get some more. I'm like, what's the catch? You know what? You mean it? I could just, oh. It was just incredible. Um, but I didn't actually write my first book until I was 42. I'm 53 now. So 10 years next year is next year is my 10 year anniversary. Um, I got cancer. And, you know, I thought to myself, what have I always wanted to do? And I'd always every book I read, I think I can do better than that. Or God, I wish I'd written that. And they fell into two camps for me. You know, it's very easy to have these sort of ideas and thoughts. You don't often have to test yourself, do you? No. And I remember thinking, I just want to, I just want to see if I can do it. I just want to, you know, see if it's something that I can. And after getting diagnosed, I thought, this is my one time around the block. This is it. You know, what do I want to do? And what I'd always wanted to do was try and write a book. So I wrote my first book, Poppy Day. I'm not very well educated. I didn't know where all the dots and dashes go and all the spaces. I didn't know how to form a story. I didn't know how to hold someone's interest. But what I did know was how to tell a good story. And I have this, this gift, I think, this skill where I can write very, very quickly. I don't really procrastinate. I don't make a plan. I don't write a note. I don't stick a post-it on a wall with a bit of string. I've never done anything like that. I literally just write what's in my head, which is my complete novel, which comes to me very quickly. And so that was how I got started, Harriet. It felt like a, a vanity project, something I do because I love doing it. I never really thought I'd sell a book. I just wondered if I could finish one. I think that was, that was the truth, just if I could finish the book. I love the story so much. I'm almost slightly tearful listening to you tell it because I've obviously heard it before and it was a really powerful moment for me when I heard you tell this story before because I think subconsciously somewhere 
I had created an idea in my head which said, oh, the moment has passed, right? So if you were going to do that, you should have done it. You should have done it by now and it's too late. And now there's just, you know, it, I don't know, no, yeah, nobody's going to want to hear it or uh, you don't have enough time or you should be thinking about other things. Also, <laughs> you're just too old. I don't know where the too old thing has come from. Um, but when I heard you tell this, and I was like, oh, here's this woman who not only went through a massive, like life-changing thing with cancer, but then went and did the thing that she really wanted to do. And let's be frank, made a massive success of it. Because at that point, you might not have known if you were going to sell a book, but you've sold one or two. You've done okay. (laughs) Do you know what though, Harriet? We're kind of conditioned to think that it is too late. Mm -hmm. As women, we've missed the boat. And if you're not a size eight, 21 year old, you know, with a fancy pants boyfriend, a supercar, mortgage-free living, jetting off to wherever, you're made to feel that you're not as valid, not as worthy, that your thoughts aren't as interesting, that you're not as talented. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we as a society do to women. We say, if you're not, if you don't look like this, and if you don't sound like this, and if you haven't been to this school, and you don't know these people, then forget it. You know, you can't be in that club. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that for most of my life. And truth is, I still feel a bit like that Mm. on many days. I still feel like someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, who do you think you are? You know, get out. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's not, you have no right to be here. But I think that is the other side of the problem that you kind of, not only did I think society wasn't rooting for me and that I'd missed my chance because I was 42, I was a mum and I'd been through all sorts, but also I believed it. I let myself believe it. And that would have been the greatest shame, not because of making a success out of writing, but because I wouldn't have done something that actually I'm fairly good at. And I would have missed that chance to find the thing that I could do. Yeah. That would have been a shame. Isn't that so interesting when you say I would have missed that chance to do something I'm actually really good at, you know, and that that conditioning has come from this idea that if we haven't had some level of societal approval for ourselves from age zero upwards, that even if we might be really good at it, we probably don't have a right to go and try. Exactly right. And I was never in the sporty club or the clever club or the, you know, the beautiful club or the well-traveled club or the intellectual club. I didn't have a club. I was just a, an average girl who didn't know where she fit. I wasn't popular. The boys I liked liked other girls that weren't me and the girls I wanted to be friends with weren't my friends. I just felt really like I was lagging behind. And I've always felt like that, like everything good was happening to other people. Therefore they must deserve it. And therefore I should just be satisfied with whatever pants got thrown at me because that was all I deserved. But it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it was only when I sort of let myself dare to dream, dare to believe that, you know what, why not me? Why not me? Maybe it's my turn. Maybe my book will be good enough. Maybe my book will rise to the top of the pile. Maybe I will get to get a spare bedroom. And when I started to believe that, funnily enough, the, the hardest thing about writing for me was I didn't know what I could write about because I'd never been anywhere or done anything. I'd never climbed a mountain. You know, I'd never had this huge, amazing sexual adventure with this incredible, but I'd had none of that. 
you know, what am I going to write about? that happen? And maybe that's like 54. Yeah, no, well, well, you know, (laughs) um, but you know, when is that going to happen? What do I write about? And then I thought, well, I'm going to write about women like me. I'm going to write about the things that have affected us, which is what it's like to feel overweight, not quite good enough to be in debt, to flirt with alcoholism, to have eating disorders, to be depressed, to be skin, to trawl around the supermarket, you know, counting in your head, you're you're shopping because you don't know if you can have enough in your purse or on your account when you get to the till. Mm. I'm going to write about those women. And funnily enough, I could write about those women because I am those women. And funnily enough, the people who wanted to read me are those women too. So therefore, they totally related to the characters I was creating because it was all of us. That's a real big lesson for me that when I started to write is write what you know. Don't try and be the next JK, the next Jodie Picoult, the next, you know, whoever. Be the first Harriet Minter. Be the first Amanda Prowse because that's where your authenticity lies and that's what makes you relatable and original and it's your truth and your voice and it shows in your writing. I love that idea of be the first you, don't try me somebody else, be the first you because I definitely find myself kind of easily swayed. I don't know if you read when you're in the middle of writing something, no. I don't, I can't. I can't have another author's voice in my head while I'm writing. And the worst thing about my job is that it's cut my reading down to a a very small level because I used to read daily, but now I read between books. It's almost a treat for me because I can't dilute my own thought process. I can't dilute the ideas and I find it happens. And it's, it's a really hard thing, but you almost have to ration your reading and um and just apply yourself to what you're doing at the time which is your 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 writing because I think there's a danger that exactly what you say you get pulled and as soon as you start allowing other influences to come in when you read it back you'll see the difference between when you're in the flow in the zone and you're harrieting yeah and then suddenly you might be a mandarin (laughs) <laughs> or JKing or whatever it is you you see it in your writing you think oh that doesn't read well it's not right you rub it out you start again I want to ask you about reading because you said that the greatest gift anyone gave you was a library card can you remember the first book that you or what is the first book that you have a kind of early memory of just loving and being bewitched by wasn't one of these kids who uh, was a natural reader and hoovered up the classics by the time I was 10. I wasn't that child, but I loved a comic. I loved a short story. I loved being read to. I loved stories on TV. You know, we had Jack and Ori and things like that. And I loved that. Um, And I think what I gravitated to, first of all, was things that were easy to read. I think one of the first books I remember being really, in fact, there were several. I was around, I think, maybe 11 12 so actually not a baby but Carrie's War uh, the oh, Folly Foot Farm you. series yeah. um, uh, Black Beauty anything that, that really took me out of London and put me on the back of a horse and would let me canter across a field was a wonderful yeah. escape and I was fascinated by these war sort of stories like Carrie's War and um, things like the Mallory Towers books where girls were going off to boarding school anything that was very different to my life <laughs> I loved it loved it loved it loved it and I think it was that really that taught me that you could be anyone when you were inside a book. Mm-hmm. And that was good for me at times to be someone different in a, in a different place. It was healthy for me. Do you find when you're writing, as you're writing your characters, that you get that same experience of being a different person in a different place? Yeah, I absolutely do. And it's very strange because 
all of my books have a very different feel and tone to them. You can tell it's an Amanda Prowse book, but oh, I sound like a knob and Amanda Prowse. I just talked about no, myself in a third party. It's an Amanda Prowse book. That's you can tell it's an Amanda Prowse. It's a, <laughs> but it's because my main character writes her story. And so depending on their education, their geographical location, their his- experience, their history, their taste, their appetites, their favours, that's actually what gives the book its tone. So every book is very different. So a book written, so for example, um, The Day She Came Back is primarily an 18-year-old character. And it reads very differently to Waiting to Begin, who is 53 for a lot of the book, because they are putting the words and the voice on the page. So yeah, absolutely that happens. I have to ask you about your kind of prolific writing style because again I know about this but other people might not let's just kind of wow the world with how you write because it is completely I think completely unique tell me how you get the story how long it takes you how many words how do you get it from idea to page so something very odd happens to me which I didn't know was odd until I (laughs) shared it so I thought this happened to everybody but very often maybe weekly, maybe fortnightly, I will get an idea, a whole book downloaded into my head, like plugging in a memory stick and like someone downloading a movie. And it happens in about mm, seconds, six, seven seconds. I get the whole book, beginning, middle, end, twist, turns, everything. So then I don't have to write anything or make a plan. I look above the screen as though I'm seeing the movie for the right first time and I touch type and I literally write what I see so it's exactly if I said to you I want you to write the book of dirty dancing Mm -hmm. look above the screen and you'd say oh my gosh she arrives at the holiday camp and she sees this guy with long hair and blah 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 blah." (laughs) and you would just write the movie that you're seeing well that's exactly what happens to me but they're my original ideas and books and I didn't know that didn't happen to everyone until I was actually, I was on a Radio 2 book show <laughs> with Claudia Winkleman and, and I was with some amazing other authors. And I said, you know, when your book comes in, when you get the whoosh and they all looked at me and said, what are you talking about? I went, you know, when your book comes into your head, you, you get the whoosh, what do you call it? And they went, we have no idea what you're talking about. And I was in my forties and I'd written, you know, several books by then. I didn't honestly didn't know that's happened to me my whole life my whole life. And I have a filing cabinet system in my head where I store them all. And some are great. Some are not so great. I have more books there than I could write in my lifetime. But because I don't have to think about it, I write a book, you know, I, I, I write them very, very quickly. Love this. I love that you were just like, this surely this is how everybody writes. Well, I didn't know. I'd never <laughs> spoken about it and I'd never thought about it. It's just, it had always happened to me and I have an incredible memory. So I, I can, it, when I put the, the books in my filing cabinets, along with that is the smells, the place, but, but this will blow your mind then, Harry, if you're amazed by that, all my characters live in my head. So I could tell you at any one point what any of the characters from any of my books are doing today. I could tell you what their children are doing. I could tell you what they're eating. I could tell you where they've been on their holidays, where they shop, where they go next. So they still live in in my head at different points. And I could at any point write another book for them because they've moved on. Things have happened. Things have happened in their families. So I could write all those books again, um, you know, with, with sort of an update, if you like. It's a weird thing. It's an amazing gift. And I actually really love... I love this idea of looking above your screen and just writing as though you're writing the movie that you're seeing. And it is, I think it's something that's probably quite unique to you, but I wonder if we shouldn't all be trying it. 
I wonder if what? we should all actually just be sitting down and saying, today, I'm just going to let download come. I'm going to let the whoosh come. And then I'm just going to write the whoosh and see what happens. Do you know what? A lot of people tell me that when they're trying to write, particularly trying to write their first book, they read and reread and they read and reread and they read and reread. Don't do that. Just write it and don't reread it. Move on. Don't, if you're tempted, just move on. Write the next bit. You don't have to start at the beginning. You don't have to have an ending. You can write whatever you want. This is your creativity that you need to let it flow. And it will happen for different, in different ways for every single writer. Don't worry about starting at the beginning and thinking about the middle and the end. That may paralyze you. But you may have this incredible scene in your head, a vision where you literally step out onto the beach and you're looking at the sunset and you can see it and you can taste it and you can smell it. And you know what she's had for her supper and you know how she's going to feel the next morning. Write that. And like knitting, it grows. Yeah. But you don't have to write it in a linear or, or a sort of, you know, a structured fashion. Let it be organic. Let it just flow and see what you write and then join it all together. It doesn't have to be as structured as you. You're not having an English lesson. Yeah. You know, this isn't, it doesn't have to be ABC. You're not passing an exam. This is writing a book and you can do it in any which way you want. You can start anywhere with an idea, a theme, a thought, a scent, a smell, a sense, whatever it is, write that and then let that grow. Full permission. Full permission to write it however works. Yeah, Absolutely. Can I ask you, have you ever had periods where you couldn't write, where things are, I ask this because I have really been trying in this process to sort of bring some structure into my largely unstructured life um, and sort of commit to a kind of daily writing and getting things done. But I have had, um, let me tell you, it's like I'm, you know, I'm in the middle of a breakup and I'm not feeling emotionally my kind of most on it and I can't really focus on anything and I found trying to write really really hard. I think one thing you need to do when you are writing is understand that it isn't always your priority. Mm. Sometimes your health physical and mental are your priority and I have had periods in my life where things have been so overwhelming um, my son tried to take his life. I know you know this, Harriet, because we've spoken about it a lot. And we've written about it in a book called The Boy Between. Um, when I was waking every day, wondering if Josh was going to have another day on the planet, mm. I couldn't possibly sit and trip trot out a book. I couldn't breathe. Mm. I didn't want to open my eyes. I didn't want to lift my head up off the pillow. I didn't want to face what was happening. When people I've loved have been ill or sick or environmentally things have just felt overwhelming for me I literally just want to close down and I, I'm extremely fortunate that I've never suffered with depression I don't understand it because I've never had it I know it exists because it lives in my house but I've never had it but that doesn't mean I don't have days where I think I just actually want, would prefer to stay under this duvet or I just want to be outside not looking at a screen and that's really important that you give yourself permission to take those days. And those days might be weeks and those weeks might be months and those months might become years. And that just means it's not the right time because writing at the right time is very, very important. If you are forcing your hand, if you are forcing something, you're not going to be 
relaxed, you're not going to be intuitive, and you're not going to be at your best. Now, for some people, I know writing is their therapy. It is for me in a way. Mm. I get all my worries and fears down and I put it on the page and it goes. But that doesn't mean I can write when I'm feeling at my most tortured. Mm. It means I use that experience to its best effect when I do feel in a position to write. But giving yourself permission and not making it uh, torturous or that it becomes a pressure when you're feeling under pressure to give yourself another pressure is not healthy. It's not good. And so I think I know some writers work in a very constructive way and they need to do a thousand words a day. They need to do 500 words a day. They need to do that would never work for me because there are some days I want to write 10,000 words. And there are some days I want to write four (laughs) and the four I might want to write are, I am very tired and I leave it. And that's, you know, listening to yourself because it's not like anything else. Writing has to be such a, it's such a unique experience. It's a marriage of mind and body and creativity and thoughts and originality. And it's a very, very complex Venn diagram that has to come together in the correct way for you to be at the middle of it and do what you do best. And unless everything is aligned, I think it can be another pressure. So don't give yourself that pressure. Don't do it. Do it when it feels right. Because again, it's that race. We're not in a race. There's only what works for us at our own pace. It doesn't matter whether I've written 300 books and you've written one. It doesn't matter. It's about doing what's right for you. As I'm listening to you, I feel really, just really reminded about why you're writing about why it is that we choose to write something. And it's in my little Capricorn soul. I'm a very success, external success-driven person. Um, and, but it's not about that. It's about telling a story. It's about, about bringing an experience to other people so that they can have that experience as well. And not, it's not about what happens to it at the end. And I tell you something, Harriet, there's two things I really would like to say. One is that I can honestly tell you that if no one bought another one of my books, I would still write them. And that's very, very important. That's I'm doing it for me. And secondly, I mentioned earlier about the times when I was cleaning the loos in the city and it was hard to, you know, pay the rent and it was hard to make my bills. I don't feel any different now. I'm not any happier. I'm not any more fulfilled. It's just a different life. And the one thing I don't have to worry about is the paying of the bills, but everything else is exactly the same. So I thought it might change my life completely. I thought I might be a different person, a confident person, a skinny person, a clever person, a beautiful person. I thought I might be in those clubs. I'm still not in those clubs. My life is no different. My happiness levels are about the same. It's just different pressures. It's just different. It's not better. It's just different and I used to worry about how I kept two rooms clean now I worry how I keep lots of rooms clean but I still worry you know I still worry about it and of course it's great to know where my next meal is coming from it's great to be able to you know if I needed a pair of shoes I can go and buy them I can send the kids on holiday all that stuff is of course wonderful and being poor in this country makes life twice as hard as it should be it's hard I get it And I have the luxury of not having to think about that, but nothing else has changed. It's a reminder that ultimately, like wherever we go in our lives, we always come back to ourselves. That's why they call it baggage, isn't it? Because you take it with you everywhere. All we've got. That's all we've got. 
with what was going on in our heads and what's going on in our bodies. That is the extent of us. And we only have this exact moment right now. I used to think my, my happiness and everything was going to be deferred. Um, I will be happy when. I will be happy when I get a book published. I will be happy when I meet the love of my life. I will be happy when my children achieve. Oh. <laughs> but we know you'll be happy when you've got dogs. <laughs> I'm so sorry. They're barking because their dad's just come through the door. But I everything was deferred for me. So every, all my happiness, everything I thought was going to be good, was deferred. And that is not living a life. That's living someone else's life. That's a life in my head that didn't exist. Yeah. And the one thing I think I've really learned is that to be happy now, even if it's because I can have a cup of tea, even if it's because I slept well, or I had a nice bath, or my clothes are comfy and warm and dry, whatever it is I'm grateful for, it has to be now. And, and that's a really good way to live. It really makes me live in the present. And I think that brings us back really doesn't it to you know why why it's not the right time or the wrong time to start to write something it's just it is the time that you write it if you want to do it you have to do it now absolutely and now can be whenever yeah and so yeah that's a really I think that's a really really good message don't let it be a pressure don't feel under pressure because that pressure is coming from you and if you're writing if you get it right and you love what you're writing it is a hugely rewarding experience. If other people like it, that's wonderful. But if you like it, if you have that pride in what you're doing, it is an incredibly rewarding experience. You've just reminded me, actually, that I wrote something the other day. I wrote a little scene the other day. I was so proud of it. It's like, oh, it's really good. Do you know what, though? Some people never have that moment. And you've had that moment. And that is incredible. And that is what it's all about. That is exactly what it's all about. And you know what? You know when it's good. You know it. You know when you've done something good. And again, we're conditioned to say, oh, I don't know. I don't know if it's any good. I'm a bit, you know, you know when you've nailed it. And so wave that flag and take that moment to just absolutely celebrate it. And you're totally justified in doing that because that's a, that's a real win. That's brilliant. It is, as ever, uplifting and inspiring talking to you. I really, I really appreciate it because... I genuinely always just feel like okay life is life is good I've got this life is good thank you for the reminder of it thank um, you darling for anyone who maybe hasn't read any of your books yet I don't know who that is because there's so many of them and then you sell them so brilliantly which one is your favorite and where would be where would you tell people to start my favorite book is always the one I'm writing right now always yeah because I always kind of live with it in that moment (laughs) and I think I'm always oh this is great and I really like her um oh gosh that's a really hard question where to start I'd probably have a little look at the blurbs because some of them uh, relate to different things different issues but they're all really written about women for women I would say a good place to start is probably waiting to begin that's a a good book because it's uh yeah Bess's story when she's 16 and when she's 53 it's just her birthdays her 16th birthday and her 53rd birthday and I think it's very easy to forget how when we're 16 we feel like we're so invincible you know we feel like we can take on the world yeah that energy that energy we have and that self-belief I think it's a good reminder that we need to we need more of that more of that self-belief we all do love it Thank you so much for talking to me. If anyone wants to come find you on social media and see the Prowse house, where can they find you? Uh, Mrs. Amanda Prowse. I recommend it. Go follow it. <laughs>
That was the amazing Amanda Prowse. I hope you all loved her as much as I did. Finally this week it's time for a creativity booster and this is for anyone who is feeling all the feelings and uh, perhaps being as blocked by them as I am. It's an exercise that I first read about in the brilliantly titled self-help book Pussy a Reclamation. I know what a name. It's called swamping and it's a way to help us move through feelings and embrace those we feel a bit stuck with. Basically it goes like this. So first up, you identify your dominant feeling at the moment. Maybe it's sadness or anger, but might also be joy and excitement. All the feelings are welcome. Then you make a playlist that corresponds to this emotion. Right, so you only need four or five songs, but really go for the ones that epitomise the feeling. Then you want to pick out an outfit that matches your mood. So rainbow colours for joy, or you can do as I once did and literally don a bin bag, an actual bin bag, to represent sadness. Just make sure you're not donning the bin bag on a day when your cleaner is booked. They really won't know what to make of the whole thing. Now, once you've got your music and your outfit sorted, it's time to move. So you put the music on loud and you put your outfit on and you move around your space in any way that matches your mood. So jump for joy, pummel a pillow in anger, whatever works for you. Think about perhaps how a two-year-old would express your emotion and copy them. Literally dance as though nobody is watching. And then when the music ends, you take a moment to just stand in stillness, a hand on your heart, and check in with how you feel. And then in that space, you can sit down and let yourself write, draw, sculpt, knit, whatever feels right for you, now there is some space. As ever, I'd love to see where you get to on this. If you want to put it on your Instagram, then do tag me, at Harriet Minter. And yes, I will put mine up too maybe even complete with a bin bag. Maybe, no promises. Anyway, let me know how you get on with it. If you do want a non-fiction read, can't recommend Pussy, a reclamation high enough, not least for the joy of reading it in public and seeing everyone's expressions. Thank you for joining me for this episode. I hope you've got something from it and it wasn't too much for you. If it was, advent calendar, chocolate, And if you can, please do rate, review or follow us on any and all podcast platforms. It really helps so much in getting the show to other people's ears. Until next week, happy swamping. Bye.